calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Shadows at the Door is an audio drama podcast designed to scare and delight you. While rarely explicit, it is nonetheless produced with an adult audience in mind. It's Season 2, Episode 3. Thank you for joining us. You'll remember from Season 1 that Shadows at the Door is very much old meets new. And in the last season, we brought you new stories and classics by Charles Dickens, Washington Irving, and of course, M.R. James. And would it come as a surprise if I revealed today we were not only bringing you another M.R. James story, but perhaps the most important one. You see... This was the first classic ghost story I ever read. It sparked my love for classic horror and introduced me to M.R. James's work. And if you think about it, was the genesis of the very podcast you're listening to right now. So it's a privilege to bring to you today our telling of Canon Albrecht's scrapbook. And do look out for our cameo guest actor, who you'll learn more about in the after show discussion. So if you please, Gather around the fire, pour yourself some tea, and we'll begin. Saint-Bertrand de Comminges is a decayed town in the south of France, not very far from Toulouse, and nearer still to Bagnères de Luchon. It was the site of a bishopric until the Revolution, and appropriately has a cathedral which is visited by a number of tourists. 
It was in the spring of 1883 when an Englishman, let's call him Deniston, arrived in this, well, I can hardly dignify it with the name of city, there was barely a thousand inhabitants, he arrived in this, this, this old town. He was a Cambridge man, and had come specifically from Toulouse to see Saint-Bertrand's church. He'd left two friends back in their hotel at Toulouse, who, frankly, were less keen archaeologists than himself, and had instead promised to meet him there the following day for a brief visit before moving on in the direction of Auch. Deniston was rather eager, and arrived early on the day in question determined to fill his notebook and take several dozen photographs as he documented every corner of the wonderful church that so dominates the little hill of Cominges. In order to accomplish all this, it was necessary to occupy the verger of the church for the day. The verger, or sacristan if you prefer, inaccurate though it may be, was sent for by a rather abrupt lady who ran the local inn, and when he came, Deniston found him somewhat fascinating. It was not the personal appearance of the old man, in truth he looked precisely like dozens of other churchgoers in France, but in the anxious state that was about him, no, not anxious, hunted. He was perpetually half glancing behind him, forever ready to run as if he were expecting every moment to find himself in the clutch of an enemy. Deniston hardly knew what to make of him, whether he was haunted by some sort of delusion, or whether he simply had an overbearing wife back at home. Honestly, this really is fascinating. I really must have a photograph of the stuffed crocodile. How delightfully quaint. <laughs> yes, yes. You can go home, you know. I am quite well able to finish my notes alone. You can lock me in if you like. Oh, I'd, I'd like at least two more hours here. And, and it must be cold for you, surely. Good heavens, uh, such a thing cannot be thought of for a moment. Leave Monsieur alone in the church? No, no. Uh, two hours, three hours, all the same to me. I've had my breakfast, I am not cold at all, with uh, many thanks to Monsieur. Hmm, quite so. Very well, you have been warned. Before two hours had passed, the stalls, enormous dilapidated organ, the choir screen of Bishop Jean de Marlion, the remnants of glass and tapestry, and the objects in the treasure chamber had been well and truly examined. The verger, still very much in a nervous state, had kept whipping around as if he had been stung when one or two strange noises, that so often trouble an empty building, fell on his ear. Curious noises though they were at times. Uh, what was that? It is he. Uh, that is... No, it is no one. Uh, the door is locked. It is just you and I here. Right you are, then. 
Actually, I was wondering if I could draw your attention to that large hanging picture behind the altar. Excuse me, monsieur, which picture? Uh, that one right there, you see. It's another in a series illustrating the miracles of Saint-Bertrand. I mean, the composition of the picture is indecipherable, but there is a Latin legend below which runs thus. How Saint-Bertrand delivered a man whom the devil long sought to strangle. Uh, do you know anything about it? <laughs> Mon Dieu! Good grief, are you quite all right? Oui. I mean, yes, monsieur, I was simply... Look here, it's nearly the end of the day, and I admit these creeping shadows and curious noises are getting even to me, uh, but such things are common in buildings such as these. Let me pack and stow away my equipment, and we shall depart. Oh, merci, monsieur. Yes, it is nearly five and nearly time to ring the Angelus, uh, that is to say, the, the bell. Of course. Is Monsieur ready? Uh, we must make haste, please. Uh, yes, indeed. Oh, stop pushing. Just left ear, please. Monsieur seemed to interest himself in the old choir books in the sacristy. Undoubtedly, I, I was going to ask you if there was a library in the town. Uh, no, uh, perhaps there used to be one, but it is now such a small place. But if Monsieur is amateur de vieux livres, I have something that might interest him. He's not a hundred yards. Is that so? Oui, monsieur. I'm surprised a place so close to Toulouse would not have been ransacked long ago by collectors. Though perhaps it wouldn't hurt to see what you have. Um, although I cannot be back too late to the inn or they shall wonder where I am. And, yes, uh, <clears throat> two friends are meeting me rather early in the morning, so, as you can imagine, I must retire early this evening. That is well, that is very well. Monsieur will travel in company with his friends, and they will always be near him. It is a good thing to travel in company. Sometimes. Yes, I, I suppose so. Ah, here we are. This house? Oui, this is my home. It's rather lovely. And I do like this shield carved into the door. Is it a family crest? In a sense, monsieur. It is the shield of Albert de Malion, and he was canon of Cominguez in the late 1600s. This was his home. Oh, I see. Uh, yes, that makes sense. It's certainly an old building, like most of Cominguez, I dare add. 
Uh, right then. Um, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps after all, uh, Monsieur has not the time. Oh, not at all. We're here now. Uh, let us see what you have. Papa? Ça va? Je t'ai entendu dehors. Non t'inquiète pas, mon cher. C'est l'anglais, je vous ai dit bout. Um, <coughs> Bonsoir, madame. Excusez-moi, my manners. Monsieur, this is my daughter Audrey. Audrey, this is Monsieur Denis Toon. Bonjour, monsieur. We have been in the church today. L'église? Est-ce que tout va bien, papa? Oui, oui, mon cher. Mais, mais, il riait dans l'église. And now, my daughter, in English, please. Et oui. Yes, Papa. Uh, please enter our home. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's a rather large crucifix you have here. It's alarmingly lifelike. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, please, Monsieur, sit. <sighs> Now then, my friend, what have we here? Uh, take a look. Well, um, a book, is it? If monsieur will unwrap the fabric. Uh, well, then, careful. It seems too large for a missile and not the shape for an antiphone. Oh my, a folio! My word. I'd say this was bound in perhaps the late 17th century? And here, here we have your Canon Alberic stamp on the sides. There must be 150 or so leaves of paper in here, illustrated too. Genesis, I'd say 700 AD. And this Latin, could this, could this be fragments of the copy of On the Words of Our Lord? Oh, well, I must say. If Monsieur will turn on to the end. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, oh, look. Oh. These last two are dated far more recently. Uh, wait, did your Canon Alberic plunder the chapter library to form this scrapbook? He must have. Rather unprincipled, I must say. Hmm. So here we have an illustration of the church. Anyone could recognize that. Why it's annotated in Hebrew, I'm not so sure. And Monsieur sees the Latin also? Uh, interrogatum est inwenium inweniamne? Responsum, yes, yes. It was asked, shall I find it? Answer, thou shalt. Shall I become rich? Thou wilt. Shall I live an object of envy? Thou wilt. Shall I die in my bed, thou wilt? Oh, curious. Uh, but yes, a, a good specimen of the treasure hunter's record. Uh, quite reminds me of Mr. Minor Canon Quartermain in Old St. Paul's, actually. <laughs> uh, wait, wh what's this illustration here? My word. What Deniston then saw impressed him, as he has often told me, more than he could have conceived any drawing or picture capable of impressing him. 
and though the drawing he saw is no longer in existence, there is a photograph of it which I possess, which full echoes that statement. The picture in question was a sepia drawing at the end of the 17th century, representing, one might say at first sight, a biblical scene. For the architecture, the picture represented an interior, and the figures had that semi-classical flavor about them which artists of 200 years ago thought appropriate to illustrate the Bible. On the right was a king on his throne, elevated on 12 steps with soldiers on either side, Evidently, this was King Solomon. He was bending forward with outstretched scepter in command, his face one of horror and disgust, yet there was in it also the mark of command and confident power. The left half of the picture was the strangest, however, and it was that half that so drew the eyes. On the pavement before the throne were grouped four soldiers, surrounding a crouched figure which I must describe in a moment. The fifth soldier lay dead before it, his neck distorted and his eyeballs starting from his head. The four surrounding guards were looking at their kin. In their faces that of intense horror, and it seemed they were only restrained from flight by their implicit trust in their master. All this terror was plainly the cause of the creature crouching at their feet. I entirely despise of conveying any words the impression which this figure makes upon anyone who looks at it. I recollect once showing the photograph of the drawing to a lecturer, a person of abnormally sane and unimaginative habits. He absolutely refused to be alone for the rest of that evening, and he told me afterwards that for many nights he had not dared to put out his light before going to sleep. However, the main traits of the figure I can attempt to describe. At first you saw only a mass of coarse, matted black hair, and it was clear that this covered a body of fearful thinness, almost a skeleton, but with muscles standing out like wires. The hands were of dark pallor, covered, like the body, with long, coarse hairs and hideously talent. The eyes, burning yellow, had intensely black pupils, and were fixed upon the throned king with a look of beast-like hate. Imagine one of the awful bird-catching spiders of South America translated into human form and endowed with intelligence just less than human and you will have some faint conception of the terror inspired by the appalling image. One remark is universally made by those to whom I have shown the picture. It was drawn from the life. Oh. Ooh. Monsieur, is this book for sale? If monsieur pleases. How much do you ask for it? I will take 250 francs. Good God, man. Your book is worth far more than 250 francs. I assure you, far more. I will take 250 francs, not more. Well, it seems you leave me no further option. I really cannot refuse. 250 francs it is. Yes. 
As a matter of fact, I have more than enough on my person now. Shall we toast to it? Uh, oui, monsieur. Uh, mon amour, du vin, s'il vous plaît. Oui, papa. Lovely. She will not be long. Merci, merci. I'll do the honors. Cheers. À votre santé. That really was a lovely wine. Ah, merci. And if you don't mind my saying, it's nice to see you relax somewhat. Uh, merci beaucoup. Uh, I shall have the honour of accompanying Monsieur to his hotel. Oh, no thanks. It isn't a hundred yards. I know the way perfectly, and there is a moon, after all. Uh, but I insist. Honestly, I'm fine. Uh, please, Monsieur. Really, I'm quite all right. Then Monsieur will come on me if, if he finds occasion. He will keep the middle of the road, as the sides are so rough. Certainly, certainly. Monsieur? Ah, Mademoiselle, thank you again for your hospitality. A silver crucifix and chain for the neck. Monsieur would perhaps be good enough to accept it? Oh, well, uh, how lovely. Um, what did Mademoiselle want for it? Nothing, and nothing in the world. Monsieur is more than welcome to it. Then I shall be honoured. Thank you most kindly. Thank you, Monsieur. Hmm. Good night to you both. Good night. Good night, Monsieur. Et bonsoir. Deniston felt as if he had rendered the father and daughter some service which they hardly knew how to repay. As he set off with his book, they stood at the door looking after him, and they were still looking when he waved them a last good night from the steps of the Chapeau Rouge. Later that same evening, dinner was over and Deniston was in his bedroom, shut up alone with his acquisition. The landlady had manifested a particular interest in him since he had told her that he had paid a visit to the sacristan and bought an old book from him. He thought, too, that he had heard a hurried dialogue between her and the said sacristan in the passage outside the salle à manger. All this time a growing feeling of discomfort had been creeping over him, nervous reaction perhaps after the delight of his discovery. Whatever it was, it resulted in a conviction that there was something behind him. He found that he was far more comfortable with his back to the wall. All this, of course, weighed light in the balance as against the obvious value of the collection he had acquired. And now, as I said, he was alone in his bedroom, taking stock of Canon Alberic's treasures, in which every moment revealed something more charming.
Bless Canon Alberic. I wonder where he is now. I really must stop talking to myself. Oh, dear me. I wish that landlady would learn to laugh in a more cheering manner. It makes one feel as if there was someone dead in the house. Oh, well. Half a pipe more, did you say? I think perhaps you are right. <laughs> oh, I wonder what the crucifix is that the young woman insisted on giving me. Last century, I suppose. Uh, yes, probably. It is rather a nuisance of a thing to have round one's neck, just too heavy. Most likely her father has been wearing it for years. I think I might give it a clean up before I put it away. Oh, what on earth is that? A large spider? I trust to goodness not, not so close to my hand. Good God! A hand! Like the hand in that picture! In another infinitesimal flash he had taken it in. Pale, dusky skin covering nothing but bones and tendons of appalling strength. Coarse, black hairs, longer than ever grew on a human hand. Nails rising from the ends of fingers and curving sharply down and forward. Deniston flew out of his chair with deadly, inconceivable terror clutching at his heart. The creature, whose left hand rested on the table, was rising to a standing posture behind his seat, its right hand crooked above his scalp. It was so much like the drawing. The lower jaw was thin, what can I call it, shallow, like a beast's. Teeth showed behind the black lips, there was no nose, the eyes of a fiery yellow against which the pupils showed black and intense, and the exulting hate and thirst to destroy life which shone there were the most horrifying features in the whole vision. There was intelligence of a kind in them, intelligence beyond that of a beast, below that of a man. The feelings which this horror stirred in Deniston were the most intense physical fear and the most profound mental loathing. What did he do? What could he do? He has never been quite certain what words he said, but knows that he spoke, that he grasped blindly at the silver crucifix, that he was conscious of a movement towards him on the part of the demon, and that he screamed with the voice of an animal in hideous pain. Two staff of the hotel rushed in and saw nothing but felt themselves thrust aside by something that passed out between them and found Deniston hysterical. I don't really <laughs> they sat up with him that night, and by nine the next morning his two friends were at saint bertrand He himself, though still shaken and nervous, was almost himself by that time, and his story found credence with them though not until they had seen the drawing. At dawn the verger had come to the inn on some pretense, and had listened with the deepest interest to the story regaled by the landlady. He showed no surprise. His only comment, It is he, I have seen him myself. Then he ignored all questions. He would tell them nothing of the book, nor any details of his experiences. And as he left, he said, I shall soon sleep, and the rest will be sweet. He died that summer. 
we shall never know what he or Canon Alberic suffered. However, at the back of that fateful drawing were some lines of writing which can be supposed to throw light on the situation. The dispute of Solomon with the demon of the night, drawn by Alberic de Malion, Saint-Bertrand, who puttest devils to fight, pray for me most unhappy. I saw it first on the night of December 12th, 1694. Soon I shall see it for the last time. I have sinned and suffered, and have more to suffer yet. December 29th, 1701. History records the date of the canon's death as December 31st, 1701, in bed of sudden seizure. If you would care to view Canon Alberic's scrapbook yourself, it can be found in the Wentworth Collection at Cambridge. The drawing was photographed and then promptly burnt by Denniston. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Canon Albrick's Scrapbook by M.R. James. Loosely. Actually, no, no, it was pretty faithfully adapted by me. I can't really take any credit. I just, yeah. Well, you, you can take credit, of course, Mark, because yeah. you, you did adapt it. If I did give you the full text, it would have been quite different. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, But of course, uh, I'm not the only person to be credited in the acting troupe. Yes. Count Olaf, your troop has expanded. Yes, this episode, of course, features, uh, in, in a small role, uh, guest actor Erica Sanderson. Sanderson! <laughs> Those people who listen to No Sleep will understand. Mm. Is that like uh, David Tennant when he was on Buzzcocks? Like Barrowman? Yes, yes, exactly that. <laughs> the the lyrics, There's nothing on earth that could save us when I fell in love with Uranus. <laughs> Which, as it happens, was a line removed from the pilot episode of Torchwood. <laughs> Barrowman. Oh. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we covered this in the hiatus episode. I think Erica kind of twisted my arm about being on the show. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm not going too much into it in case I've mentioned it before, but I just don't want to try and copy No Sleep. I think it's mm. disingenuous and it's unoriginal. Mm-hmm. And I'm very aware that as it's David and I's podcast, you know, we, we, and we, we owe a lot to No Sleep and, and, mm. and, you know, No Sleep have promoted us uh, and I've written for No Sleep mm-hmm. uh, a handful of times now. So uh, there's a lot of love for No Sleep there, obviously. Absolutely, but, yes. Yeah. And I don't yeah. want to abuse it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to hire any more No Sleep actors, as good as you all are. Mm -hmm. And yet, (laughs) I think Erica got wind of this, and by got wind of it, I mean you grasped on me, David. (laughs) I would never. (laughs) But I I got Erica roped into No Sleep, so uh, I I think it's only fair that I I bring my wife on board. (laughs) Wife. (laughs) Well, the thing is, as well, is uh, as well as my need to be a people pleaser and having Erica physically in front of me saying, I hear you're not going to have me on the show. Um, <laughs> as well as that, and I'll say this, I don't know if Erica will be listening, but <laughs> <laughs> is Erica's just really fucking good. She is. She's amazing. She's uh, She is the woman of a thousand voices. Uh, she has done so many. Uh, oh, her ability to be a young American boy or an old Russian granny, or whatever. She, she. I'm pretty sure that there are only about three no sleep actors, and the rest of them are Erica being different people. It's like that meme, and it's like uh, <laughs> imagine you're living your life, and someone just shouts, "Cut! Bang! You're Gary Oldman. That's how good of an actor he is. You, know? <laughs> you didn't know you were Gary Oldman." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's uh, it is the same thing for Erica. Please note, anyone who's listening, Erica is not really my wife, um, <laughs> but we have been married, divorced, uh, murdered, um, murderous, uh, a lot of times on no sleep, and so she is she is my audio wife, <laughs> one of my audio wives. Oops, <laughs> it's a harem. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely. So, yeah, this is quite a small role for Erica to be in, but she, there is an episode coming up later this season where Erica is very much the guest star. Mm. So this is but a taste of Erica. Ooh, that sounds like a... A taste of Erica's power, maybe. Well, I was going to say a taste of Erica sounds like a delicatessen that maybe she runs or something like that. Uh, yes. Uh, but yes. Considering the, uh, the, the material that she's going to be um, handling uh, in... <laughs> Her guest star, I, I, I think it's probably best to rephrase, maybe, Mark. <laughs> I don't, I'm just going to leave this all in because it's all awkward as hell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, this is interesting as well, actually, because uh, M.R. James stories often don't have women in them. And when they do, they tend to be quite working class. And Courtney, you all right, governor? <laughs> I've uh, I folded your bench seat, sir, but I, I certainly hope a um, a ghost doesn't come out of it. I'm so sorry, David. That was one of my uh, DM, uh, one of my Dungeons and Dragons NPCs that just came out there. Wow, that that was incredible, <laughs> literally incredible. <laughs> I had this non-playable character once in D&D and I was running a game for my friends the first time and she was a character that I just put in the corner of a tavern and I said, and literally my piece of paper it was, she has comically large breasts and she sells vegetables (laughs) and each member of the party kept approaching her and trying to intimidate her but they all kept rolling really badly, so this ridiculous NPC suddenly had the upper hand on the guys (laughs) 
And then they're like, what vegetables do you sell? And I was like, um, aubergines. Because that was the funniest vegetable I could think of. So, so the thing is, that's, you know, in the last episode, you told me to act more. I can do voices, David, but they're all cartoon characters. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. Monty Python managed to get away with, uh, with doing all of that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, and look at how happy John Cleese is now. <laughs> Miserable. Person. Yeah, yeah, very true very true <laughs> but but yeah but this this character it's so i was tempted to just kind of brush past the character because um i think if you're going to have you know um a character in in a story at least have them you know like a, be a person <laughs> yes rather yes. than just just a plot device but this one is quite important particularly the moment where she hands the protagonist uh, deniston the, uh, mm. the crucifix and She's just known as the Verge's daughter, so I thought well, the least I can do is give mm. her a name. And I thought, what's a French name? And immediately I thought of Audrey Tattoo, and that's why she's called Audrey. Right. Okay. So not Audrey Two from Little Shop of Horrors. No. Well, he's not French, and he's a plant. Yes. <laughs> Get out of here with your musicals, David. <laughs> well, I, I thought, are you not going to be um, talking to the listeners about the grand finale of season two where it is going to be a musical? Yeah, because I think I'm Joss Whedon, although hopefully with uh, the, uh, more standards. <laughs> it's going to be a musical adaptation of Oh, Whistle and I'll Come to You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Whistle! <laughs> oh... I received a strange parcel in the post a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, right, yes. What, what was that then? Well, I don't know, because uh, the postman arrived, there was a large parcel there, I thought, I didn't order anything. Mm-hmm. No. Um, <laughs> it's a lockdown, you know? <laughs> but like, And I opened it, and it was a, uh, a uh, four-foot-long, I think, mm-hmm. M.R. James pillow. Body pillow, yes. Body, yes I'm not going to call it uh, a body pillow. It was from Drunk Ghost Stories three when uh, when uh, Gemma and I were saying, well, if if he hasn't already got an Mr. James body pillow, then it's already in the post, uh, and it was from that that I thought, I wonder if I can actually get a custom body pillow made with with your. <laughs> so I, I started scouring the uh, internet for uh, high resolution Mr. James photos, and um, yes. A couple of days later, there it is. And I'm leaning against it right now. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, you can't put it in your living room where I am right now, but, like, like my house is being redecorated, so I don't know where to put it. But it's quite comfy to lie on, so I will give Monty that <laughs> good lumbar yeah, support, exactly. I guess. <laughs> exactly, and, and the knowledge that MR James is beneath you. Oh, Christ. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you guys, he's not my type. You know? <laughs> what, in that he's dead? <laughs> <laughs> that does somehow it does create somewhat of a uh, a block for romance it, it, or indeed yes lust. yes yes it does lower the mood slightly just a little bit <laughs> but I, I i put it on twitter and and, and my friend kate uh, i think she'd said a whistle and i'll come to you my lad <laughs> and then i just changed one word and it was a whistle and i'll come for you my lad because i'm apparently 14 yes absolutely i mm. i, I I did want to be a fly on the wall when you opened that package because uh, I I can just imagine your face of of horror um, 
surprise, um, complete distaste for the fact that someone had been so stupid as to do this. I was very confused because there was a moment where I thought, did I order this? Because like, <laughs> no one sent me anything without telling me. But I hate it when people do that. Like, it was my birthday in March, and a friend said, I've sent you a present. And because it was lockdown, it was coming from somewhere in Europe, it was taking a long time. And every day I was like a dog when I would hear yeah. the postman <laughs> just running for the, the latch. Uh, I, I do believe I said, because I talk to myself a lot. I live on my own, and I talk to myself, and I, and I opened it. And when it unrolled <laughs> on the floor, I just went, for fuck's sake. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> and that, that was the tweet you put out. It was just, for fuck's sake. <laughs> One of my friends, she said a, a, a favourite memory of hers about me is when we went to go see the film Split at the cinema, uh, mm. in which James McAvoy has multi-personalities. Yes. And I really enjoyed that film. And, and the film was just wrapping up. And I thought, oh, what a good return to form for M. Night Shyamalan. I'm so glad that he didn't feel the need to expand mm. upon it, and I knew it was an unbreakable thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember not controlling my volume, and in the middle of this packed cinema, I just went, for fuck's sake! <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I got a reaction. Because <laughs> then I found myself having to tell strangers why I was angry, because afterwards, like, what's wrong? Why is Bruce Willis in? I was like, well, no one saw unbreakable. <laughs> you know? So yes, David, MR James, yes, uh, yes. a man... Man, we've talked about it on this podcast a bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, what I love about this story is it's very much um, set where it's set. Mm, it's mm-hmm. just a French story. It's in now, David. I can't pronounce it because I'm common. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Saint Bertrand de Comillon, I think. Uh, I think it's Saint Bertrand de Comines. There we go. Oh, David, that's beautiful. That just rolls off it. Can can you ask me if I want like a Pinot Noir to go with my steak or something <laughs> like that? Uh, voulez-vous uh, uh, une tasse de Pinot Noir uh, pour boire avec ta uh, ta, ta bœuf? Monsieur? Yes. <laughs> Souhaitez-vous un verre de Pinot Noir avec votre bœuf, monsieur? Non. <laughs> Don't like Pinot. <laughs> <laughs> Melo? Uh, oui. Bon. You know, and uh, I love uh, Sideways and, and Paul Giamatti's character. <laughs> A whole film about wine, and I don't really do wine, but I love that film. Like, like deep in my bones, I love that film. <laughs> and... His character loves Pino and hates Merlot, and I'm not a big fan of Pino, and I quite like Merlot. Okay, so. well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, although not even that much Merlot. Sabotage me. Oh, aye, aye, Captain, you got it. And if they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I am not drinking any fucking Merlot! Okay, okay, <laughs> relax, Miles. Jesus, no Merlot. But yes, it's it's very much like the story is very much like there, and I really want to go there. It's uh, I think it's not far from. Is it Lords? Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, yes. Lords, Lords. La la la! I am Lords, 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 Lords. <laughs> South Park reference. That's how. Ah, uh, yes, yes. That's how uh, classy we are. <laughs> but um, I, I I imagined like when I eventually make money <laughs> <laughs> that one day I'll, I'll fly to Paris also when there isn't a uh, virus yeah. and drive down to um, 
that area. It's a long drive, uh, just just warning you. You'd be better off uh, flying to somewhere like Nice or Bordeaux. Yeah, yeah. Um, Toulouse. Yeah, and and just because I, I think it's near the the Spanish border as well. It is. It's it's right down in the southwest, very close to uh, to the Spanish border. Yes. Yeah, and and it's a very quiet town. I, and um, a friend of mine went on, on a sort of black pilgrimage, but um, and I think there's not many even places you can stay there. But I'd really just love to do it. I'd love to do it. <laughs> Please buy T-shirts so that Mark can can travel. Yeah, we don't get a lot. Like I chose a service that wouldn't add to my extensive like list of jobs. So could you buy like fifty T-shirts? So <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody bought five T. Well, I know who did it. But someone bought five T-shirts and a tote the other day, and I was like, "Wow, oh my god, I think I might make a tenner from that." <laughs> oh no! After I half it with David, but to be honest, I just really like seeing guys in our merch. It's like it's really nice. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, um, it's this is one of the things that we were going to be coming on to to say is that if you have um bought merch uh, and would like to show off, then please do snap us a picture and uh, and send it to us. Tag us in. And uh, and let us know that you're enjoying it. And I'll put you in the permanent folder on the Instagram page as well. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it features our amazing logo designed by Brian Coldrick and then uh, su- supplementary artwork designed by Xena as well, who uh, will link because she is on Twitter, prevalent on Instagram and Twitter and deserves your time as does brian brian does this amazing art series called behind you and it's uh, he does these animated gifs and it's usually you know like a person with their mm. back to a monster and there's a one sentence story uh, like, like there's one of them where a guy's doing a jigsaw and behind him there's a monster being put together like a jigsaw oh. and it says when he and it says something on the lines of he <laughs> didn't know that when he finished the puzzle it would be here mm. i've got several of them as prints in my hallway um, that my children have become desensitized to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Brian, uh, Brian and Zena are both amazing artists. It's interesting because, as as a lot of you know, we changed our podcast provider uh, because our old one was shit, mm-hmm. and uh, now we get to see where everyone is listening from. Like quite specifically as well. Like um, we get to see which states in America like us the most. Um, and I'm not encouraging competition in between the states by any means, but if I was looking at the page right now, I could tell you that California is leading New York. Mm-hmm. Are you going to take that, New Yorkers? <laughs> yes, and all time so far, America is our biggest uh, audience share by far. So, David, we need to start pandering to the Americans a bit more. Does that mean not, in, not having a really bad American accent on our second episode? <laughs> That wasn't a bad American accent, David. <laughs> to British people, that was probably good. In fact, in fact, a friend of mine who I won't name has recently started listening to the show. A bit late, but, you know, you're here. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> she said that she thought it was, quote, not bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'll... Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do impressions of Donald Trump anymore. Mm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. After all, we don't know what's going to happen come November. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's American it's it's America by far, mm-hmm. then Britain, Canada, Sweden, and Australia. However, um Russia is very much catching up mm. to Australia. So when we do our live shows, we'll have to find a a, a good point in America. Uh, Seattle. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but we might have a bit of difficulty doing the Russia shows, probably. Well, I don't know. I think, because remember, David, you know, we're in a country that colonized a lot of the planet. Yes. Like, horribly. Yes. And we just expect other people to know English. And apparently, that worked. And a lot of people understand <laughs> us who are listening in these countries. Um, we're horrible people. And, you know, when we get people telling us that they're going to throw tea in the Boston Harbor, we deserve it, you know? <laughs> the tea doesn't, though. The tea doesn't. We're white British. We're white cis British men, David. There is so much privilege and guilt on our shoulders. I know, but we are also both members of the LGBT community, which is why yeah. Russia is a slightly beyond borders for us. Well, as long as we don't kiss well, that's... at the show, David, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> can you contain yourself? Can, can I contain my homosexuality? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Not your, not contain who you are as a person. <laughs> Can you stop yourself from kissing me? I, I've managed to so far. Oh, yeah, it's true. I've been very impressed. <laughs> very impressed. You know, you've tried, but... Uh, but... <laughs> no, but uh, going back to the stories, what I... There's a, there's a bit of a unique thing about Kenan Albrecht's scrapbook because the monster at the end is so detailed mm. in its description mm. and yet it's really quite hard to imagine what it looks mm. like um we know it's hairy we know it has mm -hmm. yellow eyes we know it has like a, a fairly big hand and we know it resembles one of those uh bird catching mm. spiders and given in endued with enough intelligence more than a beast but less than a man i think uh, to paraphrase i love that line mm. now because it's such a fascinating creature, it's been illustrated many times. And many, many of those illustrations, including the ones done by McBride that M.R. James signed off on himself, mm -hmm. miss the point. And even in McBride's illustration, we don't really see it because it's in the shadows. Mm -hmm. And it almost looks cute. <laughs> now, I'm biased because my friend Barney Baduano illustrated it. And he gave it like a feminine xenomorph-looking look. Um, mm. And I'll tweet it when we do the episode, because I, I like that illustration, but it is still very hard to get this monster down on paper. And I haven't ever... I, there's never been... like The BBC didn't do this one, mm -hmm. possibly for this reason. So much of the of the terror of this story is in the description of Deniston trying to describe what it was. And there's that line, everyone who saw the picture agreed it was drawn from the life. So mm. it still looks very real, very fucking horrible and mm, mm -hmm. that's why I thought this story would be great in an audio form because you still got that we've got you David describing what it looks like and then we've got these 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 fantastic sound effects uh, some of which were provided by uh, Phil uh, Mikowski mm -hmm. um, so yeah and again it's just it's just a really good example of giving something enough description and letting the uh, the the listener or the reader fill in the spots it's like I haven't... I was talking to someone about this the other day. They asked me if I'd studied writing. I didn't know if that was an insult or a compliment. And uh, I haven't. And I don't like to read too much about writing because I don't like there being rules. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm quite snobby in what I like and what I employ, but also it gives me an inferiority complex as well. <laughs> and uh, But I have read on writing by Stephen King because, of, of course, I have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But he, he has the scene where he, he describes someone going into a bar and mm -hmm. I think he, he writes the bartender 
in, in sorry in very in-depth prescription and and then he does the same scene again and he just says the bartender had his sleeves rolled up to his elbows mm. and then that's it and he just and, and then that is one of the best lessons i learned from that book is that if i'm writing in full prose which is <laughs> i write so much audio it's rare <laughs> but these days and i must get back into it because uh, I want to put a collection out when this season finishes mm-hmm. um, and I have some new ideas <laughs> but I always take that I will describe one physical, one or two physical things about someone and let the reader do the rest and you know with this monster we put in maybe even too much I mean I can say that Monty's dead come at me bro but, um, <laughs> he's behind and, and, you <laughs> he actually, oh no, he actually is, and he looks very stern. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> haven't been to university. Hmm. <laughs> Surely you mean Durham? <laughs> no, I mean not actually having been Monty. <laughs> Vile. But um, yeah, and th- that's what I really love about it. And and hopefully, as you as you guys have just listened to the story, you'll find a similar experience yourself. Um, and of course, the fear in the verger that. Um, David, you you did so well, and I like that you're intimidated to do American accents now, but you've you're quite happy to do French and German. Yeah, yeah. David, what else is in your repertoire? Uh, there are a few that I will um, try, but it's one of those accents, things that accents, accents <laughs> that uh, <laughs> if if there's someone going to be listening that uh, might have, uh, yeah, I I try not to do anything in front of people that actually have the accent so you don't want to do an australian right now for our australian listeners definitely not no that that's one <laughs> australian and scottish are two that i've never been able to do oh strangely enough scottish actually scottish i have been able to when i've been talking to i was reading something through to myself but the actual putting it to to voice and and saying it out loud and actually putting it down onto a digital recorder you know so inside your kitchen you're just like going that's legal tender but you just won't commit that to record or anything yes because <laughs> um for our international audience um in the uk scottish money looks quite different mm. um to the rest of well, I'll say English money, even though that well, completely yeah. bypasses the Welsh and the Northern Irish. But um, the Welsh don't have we- their own um, notes, that, though. Northern Ireland does. Oh, do they? Yeah, I actually didn't know that. I've never yep. been. But um, yeah, and it's this thing, particularly because in, in the north of England, shopkeepers never really want to accept Scottish money because yep. it looks different. Yeah. And um, I don't know where it's come from, if it was a sketch or something, but there's this <laughs> ongoing thing that a Scots person will hand it over and go, that's legal tender. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Scottish listeners. <laughs> that's fine. I, I'm, I'm very glad that you did it instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've told you, I can only do cartoony voices. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I said, I, I work with adults with learning disabilities mm-hmm. um, in a development center, and I have been teaching them Shakespeare, and to keep them engaged, I have to do silly voices. And when we did Macbeth, I did the entire session in an offensively broad <laughs> Scottish <laughs> accent. I Banquo Go fuck yourself <laughs> Now we've already mentioned uh, Our sort of guest spot Of, of Erica Sanderson uh, Playing uh, Four lines yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But one thing that also is quite uh, Quite prominent In this episode is Nico's music 
as well. Um, what, what, yeah. what, did you, what sort of brief did you give him for this one? Spooky. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nico, was, he's like, he's the Jeremy Dyson of this League of Gentlemen. He's, uh, I was going to say, didn't, did he move his, himself to Singapore so that he would not have to pay tariffs? That's that's another Dyson. James Dyson, yes, yes, yeah. Nico is just fantastic, and his music is just phenomenal. And like sometimes, if I'm not feeling confident about a scene, I'm like, Nico, can you help me out on this one? Oh, <laughs> I'll not name which story I said that on. But I said to Nico because there's uh, the church bells, the Angelus is the cold in the story. And I asked Nico to kind of really use bells in the music for this one, and I just think it really, considering there are long periods of. There are long stretches in this story where we just have narration. It was really nice for Nico to to, to play with that. And uh, listeners may be happy to hear, I've been threatening Nico with having him on the podcast Ooh. in one of these discussion sections because he is the third man of this team. And I know he's got his finger in lots of podcast pies <laughs> and he's beloved and respected in the podcasting community. But I feel like we need to mm-hmm. get him on just so we can mm-hmm. put him in the hot seat and talk about how brilliant he is. And mm-hmm. uh, in turn, he can say how brilliant we are. And then I'll feel a bit off about all of the compliments. So I'll edit most of them out and then you'll get a good discussion. Which is pretty much how it goes normally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> These discussions are actually two hours long. I condense them into 20 minutes. Yes. It's just... David's just such an incorrigible flirt that that's what you have to do. It's true. It is true. <laughs> but I think time has now wrapped up for us. Uh, I have to mm-hmm. uh, go and get some dinner, seeing as we've been on this call now for about six hours, having <laughs> having done two discussions. <laughs> no, David, we record these just before they go out, remember? <laughs> and they're not edited. <laughs> We're just really... It's like when I, I've spoken to guest writers and do you want to come out of the show? They're like, oh, I'll make a fool of myself. I'm like, what do you think I'm doing to my own audio? <laughs> David's uh, the podcast connoisseur. He can rattle this out. You know me. <laughs> but uh, if, listeners, you are interested in seeing how this all goes together right in front of your very eyes, we are considering doing a live stream of a Shadows at the Door episode. If this is something that you would like, then do let us know. Um, David's trying to talk me into it. That's what that all means. <laughs> and, and we're thinking that it'll be a, a story and discussion. Keep it under an hour and uh, hopefully some interaction with uh, you listeners as well. I mean, we love Ooh. receiving your photographs, your messages, um, everything like that. Please know I, I have nothing to do with the shadows at the door, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anything like that. So... If anything mentions me, Mark sometimes, occasionally takes a screenshot and sends it on. But, sometimes, from yeah. feeling generous. Or if I feel yeah. like David's ego needs a little help. <laughs> 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 but yeah, please do. I mean, we love hearing from you guys. Yes, and I absolutely love seeing you guys wearing the merch. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just really just love it. Just more, please. <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's nice to know that we are being listened to and uh, and that you're still enjoying what we are doing because we have plans for season three. As I say, we've got um, a lot still to release in season two. Uh, if you think a live stream would be a good thing, then do let us know. Uh, but otherwise, what can we expect next week, Mark? 
next Sorry, week, not, David. Not, not next week, next episode. In two weeks' time. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, next, The next episode, uh, you will no doubt be hearing a story from a guest writer. Ooh. Any more than that, or is that... Uh... No, because I haven't decided. No, it'll probably be Gemma. <laughs> in, in two weeks' time, David, uh, Gemma Amor makes her triumphant return. Ooh, Gemma excellent. Amor, victorious, uh, returns to uh, Shadows <laughs> at the Door uh, with a new exclusive story, and I think we can convince her to join us for a discussion that we definitely didn't already record that. Absolutely not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gemma forgot to record her own part on. Gemma Amore Victorious is wrong. <laughs> That's a deep cut reference. <laughs> I'm just, I, do you know what, David? There's probably one listener out there right now yep. who was very happy to hear that. <laughs> and thousands and upon thousands of other listeners who are going, what the fuck are these two nerds on? Yeah, there? yeah. Gotta stop and- listening to this. And yeah, they keep listening. It's strange. Yeah, because it's a good show. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of your Kofi donations, uh, for all of your reviews, for all your messages, etc. And we will look forward to uh, being back with you again with Gemma Amore in two weeks' time. You've been listening to a Shadows at the Door production. Story by M.R. James. Adaptation by Mark Nixon. Performances by David Alt and Erica Sanderson. Score by Nico Vitesi. Production by Mark Nixon. Production copyright Shadows at the Door Publishing 2020. If you enjoyed this production, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you very soon. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.